Um, I asked him to leave that slide up there because um, I want to ask, did you mean it? Here's what we said together this morning um, to, to Christ. We said that all of him is more than enough for all of us. For every thirst and every need that he satisfies with his love and all that you or I have in him is more than enough. Um, now those are really powerful words. And um, I, you know, my confession this morning is um, I say that, but uh, I know that there are times that I don't mean it. Um, so I wonder if you, uh, I, I wonder if you can relate to that. And if you can, then um, I'm going to ask you to join me in a prayer. And if you can't relate to that, then after the prayer, you come on up here and deliver the message this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, God, we understand in our minds that Christ is more than enough for anything we would want or need or desire. He is more than enough. God, we know that in our minds. We know that's true. But God, we struggle living it in our lives. God, I, I know it in my head, but sometimes I doubt it in my heart. And God, many times... I don't demonstrate it in my life. And God, that's probably true for most of us this morning. And so, Father, we just simply come asking you to hear the desire in that song um, and know that really our prayer to you as we sing that is that you would make it true in us. God, make it true in us. That all we would desire, all that we would want, all that we would need, all of our satisfaction would come in Christ and in Him alone. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 13, 14, and 15. So just three verses this morning in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And, you know... Um, there are concepts and words in the Christian life that kind of are bad words in our culture. Our culture looks at them and rejects them or judges them or just simply flat out doesn't like the word or the concept. You know, one of those words and one of those concepts um, is complementarianism. Uh, that's a, you know, yeah. What does that mean? Well, complementarianism is the biblical concept that men and women are given by God separate, complementary gifts and roles. In other words, men and women aren't given equal gifts in equal roles, but complementary ones. And so one of the ways that we see that expressed is in male headship and leadership in the family and in the home. Okay, we, in the family and the home. Did I say that? Because I also meant the church. Okay? So the family and the church, the home and the church, we see that God's given men, equipped men with gifts and given them the role of head or leader. And women have been given the gifts and roles of, of 
support and helpmate and nurturing. And so those are both valuable, but they are complementary. And so that's how we get that term, complementarianism. But in our culture, that's often criticized, rejected, and even thought of maybe as an archaic or a bad word or something like that. Okay, um, there are others, you know... Um, Absolute, you know, there are moral absolutes. When we, when the church, when in, Christ, in the Christian life, we say there are moral absolutes. There are some things that are absolutely right, and there are some things that are absolutely wrong morally. And our culture rejects that for the most part. Okay, I mean, there might be a few things that in our culture um, is. Uh, that might somehow agree with that, but certainly for the most part, when the church, when Christians start talking about moral absolutes, our culture bucks against that, rejects it, criticizes it, and, and considers it intolerant and all, all these other kinds of things. And then another one that I can think of just right off the top of my head is the, the idea of absolute truth. That there is a meta-narrative, there is this absolute truth that, that is true across all generations, for all people, throughout the universe, these things are absolutely true. <clears throat> and that is, another, that is another concept that often our culture rejects, criticizes, and, and, and thinks of it as a bad, you know, thinks of that as sort of a bad word or a bad idea. But prayer doesn't seem to be one of those. You ever notice that? We can talk about prayer in our culture as much as we want. In fact... You know, uh, we can get a yellow ribbon and tie it, uh, you know, put it on our house or get a yellow ribbon uh, bumper sticker or magnet, put it on our car and tell people we're praying for the troops. And, I, hey, I'm, I'm for that, okay? I'm not against that. I'm for that. You know, we, a lot of people, hey, I'm praying for the troops. And it's fine to even talk about that. It's fine. Our culture talking about I'm praying for the troops. I'm praying for you. I'm praying, you know, and we have the, uh, sometimes we have the National Day of Prayer and, and Prayer is talked about a lot in our culture. And we probably talk about it a lot ourselves. Do you talk about prayer a lot yourself? I know there's books written on prayer where we read about prayer and how to pray and, and the power of prayer and, and pray the, the power of a praying parent or the power of a praying uh, mother, or the, oh, that's a uh, wife, or husband, and you know, whatever. You know, there are countless books that tell us all about prayer, and so it becomes a topic of conversation. But in all of that, in all of the talk in our culture about prayer, and realize that in our culture, sometimes what, what we say about prayer, what our culture says about prayer, we don't really talk about the same thing, though we use the same word. But how about in our conversation? I, I'm, I'm concerned that there's a lot of talk about prayer and much less praying <coughs> going on. And um, I just, I just want to get this clear from the beginning this morning. I'm guilty. I confess to you that I am guilty personally and as a leader, elder here at Redeemer Church of Talking more about prayer than actually praying. And I need to repent of that. And I hope that I have. This morning I want to talk about, from this text, how prayer is essential for God's people. 
Okay, prayer is essential for God's people. The title of the sermon is Prayer, a Practiced Strategy. And I, I want to just draw a, a distinction between a practiced strategy and a stated strategy. Here's where that comes from. Um, here at Redeemer Church, we have a vision statement. And we have a mission statement. And we have a list of core values. And then we have a strategy and one of the components of our stated strategy is prayer. And I wonder if prayer has only been a stated strategy for us and not a practiced one. So let's look at Second Chronicles 7, 13-15 and um, hear about and learn about how prayer is essential for God's people. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land and send pestilence among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Really, this morning, the sermon has one point. There it is. Prayer is essential for God's people. And then I want us to look at why that's true. Why is prayer essential for God's people? But the fact that it's essential for God's people, I think is clear in this text. But it, let's just look at the context a little more. The situation is Solomon. He, he, is, he is dedicating the temple. So from the time of Moses to the time of Solomon, God's presence dwelt in a tent called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And God's people would worship him and offer sacrifices by going to this tent. And now there will be a temple, a permanent structure to house God's presence and for God's people to go and worship Him. And Solomon is the king of Israel who has the privilege of building and dedicating that temple. And by the way, the time of Moses to the time of, of Solomon, you know, that's roughly 450, 500 years that, that God's people have worshipped Him in a tent. Okay? And, and now there's a temple. And... and it takes seven years to build the temple, right? It takes seven years to build the temple. So this is a big deal. This is a big deal in the life of Israel, God's people. Okay? And Solomon prays that he goes into the temple and prays this, this heartfelt prayer asking God to, uh, to lead his people, to be their God, to correct them when they're wrong, to provide for them. I mean, just... This very long, heartfelt prayer Solomon offers. And then fire comes from heaven and, and lights the altar. And that's also a big deal because that's God's response. And then there's the actual dedication of the temple. And just, just so you understand how big of a deal this is, uh, Solomon offers as a sacrifice... 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. That's a lot of blood. You know it? 
That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of mess. But it's a big deal. This is the temple. This is God's permanent dwelling place among his people. And then, starting in verse 12 of chapter 7, God responds to Solomon's prayer and the dedication of the temple. And then verses 13, 14, and 15, which we read, are the heart of God's response to Solomon. Solomon's long prayer of dedication of the temple, the actual act of offering 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep as sacrifices to dedicate the temple. Okay, And God's response centers around his people praying and him hearing and responding to their prayer. That's at the heart of God's response to the permanent dwelling of, of, of his presence among his people. The heart of his response. All that Solomon asked of God to do. Every, all of the you know, protect and provide and restore and rebuke. and All of those things that Solomon asked God to do for them. For, for his own people. God's, the heart of God's response is. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Church, prayer is essential for God's people. It was then and it is now. And so this passage of scripture makes that very clear. But you know what? We don't need just this passage of scripture, right? I mean, can't can't we just... Say that the scripture as a whole, the Bible as a whole, communicates that prayer is essential for God's people? How many times throughout the whole of the Bible are we commanded, admonished, encouraged to pray? I mean, it's all over the place, right? Does everyone agree? Have you read the Bible enough in your life to know that that's just simply true? That the Bible just talks and commands and admonishes us to pray, to pray continuously, to pray without ceasing, to pray always, to pray about everything, right? And how about Jesus? Did Jesus demonstrate that prayer was important? You bet, because Jesus is always praying. Jesus is going off by himself and praying. Jesus is praying with the disciples. Jesus is praying in front of the crowds. And Jesus is also teaching about prayer. So not just this passage, but the whole of Scripture, the whole of the Bible communicates over and over this resounding truth that prayer is essential for God's people. I need to know this morning, are you convinced that that is true? I need to know this morning, are you convinced that that is true. Yes. Okay, good. I heard, I heard several people say yes. I hope that all of you are thinking yes. Because really, I need to know that that's true. I need to know that you're sitting there and realizing that yes, God's word makes it clear that prayer is essential for God's people. Because if, if you're not convinced of that, um, you're going to have a hard time with the rest of the sermon. I'm just, you know, um, you are. Because the rest of the sermon this morning is going to be about why 
prayer is essential for God's people. In verse 14, God says, if my people who are called by my name. Well, prayer is essential because we demonstrate we belong to God when we pray. When prayer is a regular, active part of our lives, we demonstrate that we belong to God. Because we demonstrate we depend on God. You see, when, when we belong to God, we depend on Him, right? We're completely satisfied in Him, right? More than enough, all of you, is more than enough for all of me, for every thirst, every need, right? We sang that a few minutes ago. And so we declared that that's true. Well, how do we continue to declare and show that's true? By going to Him in prayer for the satisfaction of every thirst and every need. That's how we demonstrate that's true. It's how we demonstrate we belong to Him because we demonstrate we depend on Him completely and utterly. That He is the source of everything that we need. He is the satisfier of everything that we need. He is the source of, <clears throat> of power and of life. And we're dependent on Him for everything. We demonstrate we belong to Him when we pray. Because we depend on Him. But also because we obey Him. Didn't we already say that the Scripture, which is God's Word, demonstrates over and over through commands and admonitions and teachings that prayer is essential for God's people. Let's put it a little, put a little finer point on it. Doesn't the Bible command us as God's people to pray? Yes. Yes, it does. And what do God's people do with His commands? They obey them, right? So we did, when we pray in obedience to God's command, we again demonstrate that we belong to Him. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves. Did you know that prayer protects you from pride? It does. Because let's think about it. When we go to God in prayer... You know, unless we're praying the prayer of the Pharisee that says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, that I am not like that tax collector over there. I, you know, obey all of the law and I fast twice a week and I give 11% of everything to the poor. You know, like, unless we pray a prayer like that, if we're genuinely praying, going to God in worship and adoration, in obedience and supplication, pleading with Him and interacting with Him, then, then aren't we humbling ourselves? Because we're recognizing that He is God and we are not. We're recognizing, as I said, for our complete dependence upon Him. We are understanding that He rules in heaven and on earth and we don't. You know, what is it? Chet always says we, we, we walk around and act like this is our world and we're God of it. But yet in prayer, in prayer, that's when we most regularly recognize this is not my world and I am not God of it. He is, and that's humbling. 
because we're declaring our complete dependence on Him. We're declaring that He is the one who can answer our prayers, right? Why do we pray to God? Because He can answer. He alone can answer. He alone can answer. Because He's the one who has omnipotence and you know, omniscience and omnipresence. He's the one who is perfect and holy in love and in righteousness. And He's the only one who can answer. So again, we declare our dependence on Him. We humble ourselves before Him. And so we're guarded and protected from pride when we are humbled. And you know what? And that's pretty much how that works. Because pride and humility are opposites, right? And when pride is existing in our lives... Where's humility? It's pushed out. It's pushed away. It's not there. But when humility is present in our lives and ruling our lives, then where's pride? Well, it's pushed to the side. It's pushed away. Okay. So when we pray... We're protected from pride because humility is present. We humble ourselves when we pray. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Guys, when we pray, we seek God personally. Because prayer is not about getting something from God. Prayer is not getting what I want, getting what I need, getting something from Him. Prayer is about getting God. That's the reward, the prize when we pray. We get Him. We, we commune with Him, we communicate with Him, we spend time with Him, we draw near to Him. All of that happens when we pray. And so we get God. And that's the great joy and celebration and reward and benefit of prayer is that we get Him. And here's the deal. He wants us to get Him. That's why He commands that we pray. Because we get God. He is our very great reward that we get when we pray. It's not getting the thing we pray for. It's we get God. So if I'm praying about you know, this job opportunity or... You know, or this relationship over here, or whatever, or you know, or or a financial need, or you know, I don't know, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're praying, and everything, whatever, whatever the everything is that I'm praying about. It's not that the person I pray for gets well, or the job I pray for I get, or the financial difficulty I'm in gets better, or the relationship that I'm concerned about gets fixed. That's, that's not the, the real reward of prayer. It's that I, I spend that time with God. And I get Him. And so, whether or not the relationship I'm praying about gets worked out, I, I spent time with God. And I, and I understand that He is the source of every relational need I have. And, and if the person I'm praying for doesn't see the, 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 you know, the, the health benefit that I'm praying for, I spent time with God. And 
I understand that He cares about that person far more than I do. And yet, His will is to not provide the healing that I prayed for or the recovery that I prayed for for His glory, and that's a good thing. See? See how that works? When we pray, we seek God personally. We get Him. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their sin, turn from their wicked ways, prayer leads us to repentance. Prayer moves us to repentance. It does. Because when we interact with God in prayer, we draw near to Him and commune with Him, what's naturally going to happen? Go ahead. We're going to see sin in our lives, right? I mean, is that not Isaiah's response when he comes into God's presence? He, he, He sees the Lord high and lifted up, and he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and I've seen the Lord. Well, that's, that's kind of what happens. That's when we pray because that's today, that's the way that we most enter into God's presence. It's when we pray. When we pray, we're drawing near to Him. We're drawing near to God. And when we do that, our sin will become apparent to us. And we'll confess it and turn from it. Because that's what repentance is, entering to God. So we draw near to Him. Our sin, we are convicted of our sin. We confess and turn from that and turn to Him in closer intimacy and relationship. That's what repentance is. And prayer moves us to repentance. Most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time, when we have this unrepentant sin in our lives, it's because we don't spend a lot of time praying. We don't spend a lot of time in God's presence. We don't spend a lot of time drawing near to Him. Instead, we put on other religious activities. Might go to church more. Might listen to more sermons. I might go to some Bible studies. But I don't spend time praying because I know that I'm in sin. But when we pray, draw near to God. Our sin is revealed. We're aware. We're convicted. And we respond in repentance. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. You see what happens there at the end of that verse? God is at work fulfilling His purpose among His people. Because His purpose, His desire is to forgive them and restore them when they are in error. And so, when we pray, we we actively participate in God's purpose. We're actively involved, actively participating in God fulfilling His purpose in us. And, And I want you to know something. God fulfills His purpose. Okay? God fulfills His purpose. The question is, are you going to be actively involved? Or is it going to be... Are you going to be less actively involved? You know, i got to tell you something. It's better to be actively involved than simply um, an active participant instead of a passive participant. 
in God fulfilling His purpose. Because when God fulfills His purpose in our lives, when we're not an active participant, it's painful. It hurts. It's hard. There's difficulty. Now, I realize because we are frail creatures of dust, we're you know, humans that live in a fallen world, sometimes we resist and sometimes we still have to go through the hurt, the difficulty of God's chastisement, His correction, His rebuke in our lives. But man, when we're connected with God in a regular, active prayer life, man, we are more likely to just get involved in what God's doing in our lives. And respond quickly and actively participate in Him fulfilling His purpose in us and around us. And that's meant it's way better. Okay? That's way better. It's way easier. So, what do we do with this? I mean, we understand that prayer is essential for God's people. But now, guys, I want to bring this real personal for us for a few moments. Because, you know, I, I, I suggested... Not, no, I didn't suggest. I'm sorry. That was the wrong word. I, I confessed to you this morning that, for my part, I've treated prayer more like a stated strategy than a practiced one in my life, as it, especially as it relates to the life of Redeemer Church. Okay? And, and just simply, the, the Luke 10-2 challenge that we put out two weeks ago, I have to admit that for months before last week, I've been praying that the Lord God as the Lord of the harvest would send workers into the harvest field. And I wasn't praying that He would use me and others around me, use our church as those workers in the harvest. I had not been praying that. And I want you to know that that's prayerlessness. That's prayerlessness. And it's sin on my part. And I need to confess that and repent. So... I want to change this to prayer is essential for Redeemer Church. Prayer is essential for Redeemer Church. And you know what? We know that. Because we stated in our strategy for planting Redeemer Church that prayer would be one of the six things that we do to get to our mission and our vision. We do those six things. They all start with P. And one among them is prayer. But I don't know that as a church, if people looked at us from the outside and say, oh yeah, Redeemer Church, they're all about prayer. You can definitely tell that's their strategy. Or that's part of it, because they're, they're always praying. I mean, they're, they're just doing it. You can see it. Do you think that prayer has been a practice strategy for Redeemer Church? Honestly, do you think that? I don't. I could be wrong. <laughs> okay. So, so I just, I just want to know. Do you think so? Okay. So, if everyone is silent, <laughs> then I'm going to take that to mean you agree that it has not been a practice strategy. So, how are we going to change that? How are we? going to move from prayer because prayer is essential for Redeemer Church. Because prayer is essential for Redeemer Church because when Redeemer Church prays, we demonstrate we belong to God. When Redeemer Church prays, we are protected from pride. When Redeemer Church prays, we seek God personally. When Redeemer Church prays, we are moved to repentance. When Redeemer Church prays, we participate in God's purpose. So how are we going to move from prayer being this this 
stated strategy to it being a practiced strategy. And, and I want you to know that there's a couple things in mind there. One, there's, there's your personal prayer life. There's that. Your personal prayer life. And then there's also our corporate prayer life. As a church, us praying in unison and in unity and together and in the same direction. There's also that. So how are we going to increase, improve, go about changing that? Well, I have some suggestions. Some things that are, have already begun. One is the 10-2 challenge. The 10-2 challenge is out there because we want to be obedient to pray a prayer that Jesus asks us to pray. Pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into his harvest field. And, and that ought to be something that's part of our personal prayer life. But it also be, ought, to, ought to be something that we as a church are praying about together. So that's why we say do it at 10.02. So if all of us at 10.02, and did you think about this? If you took part in the, in the Luke 10.2 challenge, the 10.02 challenge this last week, did you, did you have a sense that, hey, right now, there's some, other, some of my brothers and sisters in Christ are praying with me this very same prayer. Did you think that? You should, because it's true if we're taking up that challenge. And there's, there's, there's something powerful and just right about God's people praying in unity. So I, I just want to further encourage you to take up the 10-2 challenge, either 10-2 a.m., 10-2 p.m., or both. Would you commit to pray, Luke 10-2? And you know what? <laughs> you, you do that however, however long you want to and need to, but you realize you can just, you can pray a Luke 10-2 prayer in about a minute and a half. Probably even less, Okay. Pray longer, absolutely, but it doesn't have to be that. Just if we're all praying at 10.02, Luke 10.02, there's power of rightness in that. At your seat, you probably saw, choose two, this card. Go ahead and get it out. Another challenge um, for you and I, for us as a church. It's real simple. There's a place for you to write two names. And here's the challenge. For you to, to put two names down there of people that you know who are unbelievers or unchurched. Okay? Alright? Friends, family members, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, baristas, whatever. Two people that you know that you can have some regular contact with that are not followers of Christ. Write those names down and then commit. Commit that you will pray for them twice a day. Hey, that might dovetail pretty well with that Luke 10-2 challenge, right? Especially if you prayed at 10.02 a.m. and 10.02 p.m. and part of your Luke 10-2 prayer was for the two unbelieving friends, relatives, whatever, the two that you've chosen to pray for, but you choose to pray for them twice a day, committing, committing to pray for them twice a day, and praying specifically that they would come to faith in Christ. And then finally, make a commitment also to invite them to interact with the community of faith. Whether it be an event that we're doing church-wide, whether it be something your community group's doing, or just something that a group of people from Redeemer Church are doing together. 
you invite them along. So they can interact with the community of faith and see the gospel in action, in work, as you interact with your brothers and sisters. That's the choose to challenge, those three things. Okay, so I want to encourage you to take this card and take up the choose to challenge. And if you kind of struggle with, well, how, I don't really know exactly how to pray for someone who's not a follower of Christ. I mean, I pray that they'll come to faith. I pray that they'll repent and believe. I pray that they'll get saved. But, you know, I don't know how else to pray. There's a little acrostic with some scripture and examples of ways that you can pray for your unbelieving friends. It's based on the word reach. Okay? Receptivity. You pray that their hearts... Uh, will be open to the truth of the gospel. Exposure. Pray that God would make you bold in sharing the gospel with, with them. Acceptance. Pray that they will accept the truth of the gospel, that they will repent and believe. Uh, commitment. Pray that, uh, that um, accepting Christ, putting their faith in Christ, uh, will, will, they'll commit their life to Him and His church. And then heart. Pray that your heart would be burdened for the salvation of your two Friends, okay? Real simple. And um, what we want to do is next week, then when everyone comes back, um, if you are taking up the Choose Two Challenge, we simply want you to make that known. And it might be simply um, a document at the, at the welcome table that we all sign that, hey, I, just says, I'm taking the Choose Two Challenge. I'm accepting the Choose to Challenge, and you just sign your name to that. It could be something as simple as that, but next week, next Sunday, um, we want to make our commitment to this challenge kind of public. So that, that's another way that we are moving forward, we can move forward in making prayer a practice strategy at Redeemer Church. Also, um, community group leaders... Okay, so community group leaders particularly, but also community group members. The week of March 25th through April 1st, right? That week? Is that right? Yeah. Um, in your community group, commit your entire community group time to pray. To pray. Praying for one another. Praying for the church. Praying for uh, the, the lost, just for praying. And then after that, every fifth community group devote that time to prayer. So we're all all of our community group community groups during the same week will be focusing in on prayer and praying together over the course of the week. All of our community groups. This isn't anything new, but it might be something that's been forgotten. Our missional prayer gathering on Thursday nights at 7 p.m., that's another touch point, another opportunity for you to gather together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, your community of faith that's Redeemer Church, and praying specifically for unreached people, unreached people groups here and abroad. Okay, so maybe you've forgotten about that. You know, I want to remind you, that's another opportunity. And, you know, maybe that doesn't work for you 
the, the day and the time, then communicate that to us. In fact, communicate it to Mike. Okay, does everybody know who Mike is? Mike, raise your hand. That's Mike. Okay, now no one has an excuse to not talk to Mike. Just, it's either, hey Mike, you know, I, that's just, Thursday at 7 is just the time I can't do it. But here's a time I might be able to. And then he'll take that, he'll take note of that. And then if there are two or three other people that also say that, we'll start another one. We'll have another group, meeting another day, another time. Uh, man, it'd be awesome if we had multiples of those. Okay? Um, but communicate about that, please. And then also, and maybe finally, I'd remind you about our prayer retreat, April 21st. We do three prayer retreats a year. Right? We do three? Is that right? Okay. Fall, spring, and summer. Okay? So we, we do three of those a year. And that is a, a very concentrated time for us as a church to come together and pray. And the prayer time is guided. You know, we're, we're spending some time in personal prayer. And then we're spending some time in supplication and intercession. And what, and I'm, not, I'm, not even, I'm not even completely sure how it's going to be structured this time. Um, although I do know it's structured around Romans 3, right? Okay? But that is April 21st, and during the announcement time, there will be an, a slide about that, but that's April 21st. There are multiple sign-up sheets at the welcome table concerning the prayer retreat. Sign up whether or not you're coming. Sign up to volunteer to take a child care shift. Volunteer to bring some food because there'll be we'll have a dinner together after the prayer retreat. And there's, like I said, there's going to be a slide that's going to come up during the announcement time. But... Gosh, cough some time after that. Be, participate in that prayer retreat. How many of you were at the last prayer retreat? Raise your hand. Okay, everybody who raised your hand, did any of you regret coming to the prayer retreat? No. Did, did it suck? No. Okay, was it good for your soul? Yes. All right. Who's going to say no to that? Why would you say no to that? I mean, I totally realize, hey, I can't come because I already have this other commitment. I understand that, but just to say, like, I'm not going to go just because I don't want to go. Why would you say no to it um, if that's the case? I'm not saying, again, hear me. I realize sometimes we have other commitments that we've made, and that's, that's different, okay? But if you don't have another commitment then why would you not welcome that in your life? Our prayer retreat, April 21st. Guys, prayer is essential for God's people. Prayer is essential for Redeemer Church. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, make us into a praying people. God, forgive us when we have not been a praying people. God, we confess to you our prayerlessness. We confess that to you as sin. And God, we ask for your forgiveness. And we turn from our prayerlessness. And in faith, we turn to you as a praying people. Make us into a praying people. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, let's stay in the same.